This is the 7 Figure Agency Podcast. Discover the strategies and techniques to grow a highly successful and profitable digital marketing agency with your host, Josh Nelson. Thanks so much for being here. We've got, we've got a live audience with us. Everybody's really excited because we, we know that you are one of the top SEO agencies in the country and really in one of the toughest verticals that there are. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Let's let's bring on the hard hitting questions. Let no, let's dive right into it. So, guys, <laughs> in the comments, if you're excited to hear from Chris from Rankings.io on how he built a multiple seven figure agency, give me a yes, give me a like, give me a let's do this in the comments. Um, and Chris, I guess the best place to start is just kind of give us a high level overview who you are, how you got into the agency world, the SEO world specifically, and kind of what your what your background is. Yeah, good question. So I think a lot of us digital marketers that have, you know, many years experience kind of found this from a Google query or two. So mine was sitting behind a, a detention room desk. I was, uh, I had a history education degree and I typed in how to make money online. I got through all the spam. I found Ed Dale's course for, to make your first 10 bucks uh, in 30, a 30 day challenge, I think I made like 20 bucks, but it gave me the basis of knowledge to pursue affiliate marketing and SEO. And, uh, by the end of my second year of teaching, I was making about four times the amount that I was teaching. So I decided to pursue digital marketing full time, uh, much to, uh, my parents, my parents didn't want to want me to pursue that. They wanted me to have the secure path, you know, uh, have the retirement plan, but, uh, that's what I did. So I went all in and uh, had some ups and downs and ended up starting my own agency. Amazing. So started out as a teacher and then you got into affiliate marketing. You're like, hey, wait a minute. I know how to make this thing work. And then you started the agency game. Yeah, I, I, I was my first website was lose a double chin dot com. And I ranked number one for double chin for like four years. I uh, had a how to stain concrete floor site and and did really well there. That first penguin algorithm just destroyed me because being completely transparent, I was doing the easing articles, the build my rank links, and all that. A little stuff. bit of gray hat, a little bit of gray uh, hat work, maybe. A little bit, a little bit of black hat, maybe. Um, but uh, I, I learned a lot of what not to do because my income went from you know really good overnight, and you know so that I really set my path on a different, uh, you know, different direction where I wanted to look at like the long game and the evergreen types of strategies, not the short wins and, and being tran transparent, I was okay taking those risks for, for affiliate marketing, but I couldn't imagine ever use using those same types of risks for my clients. Right. So I've always just went the, the truly the evergreen route. Awesome. So bring us up to speed. Now I know you run rankings.io. Just kind of talk to me about your agency as it sits today. Yeah, so we do one thing, SEO for personal injury law firms, and we have about 45 clients. We're at about 650 to 700K MRR. Uh, we'll do definitely do eight figures this year, and we're kind of at that point, though, and I think you and I talked about this previously, where well, we're looking at either there's a couple of directions we could go. We expand the market cap, go out to a couple of different areas of the law, or go a little deeper with PI. And um, there's pros and cons for each, but that's kind of where we're at right now. So guys, you heard that right. 650,000 in monthly recurring revenue in about 45 clients in one, not niche. And I, I say you heard that right because I know a lot of people think, well, 
You can't really build a seven-figure agency in a niche. Well, he's built, built almost an eight-figure, will be an eight-figure agency, not just in a niche, which is legal. You think legal is a pretty, that's niche, right? I can only work with law firms, but he doesn't just work with law firms. Like he only works with PI law firms, personal injury law firms. Talk to me a little bit about the thought process and going the niche within the niche and how that's helped you guys grow the agency. It's a great question. There are, I'm writing a book with Scribe Media right now on niching. So this is really top of mind. But the key thing here is when I got in the legal industry, I chose that industry because, you know, I knew it had been around for a long uh, amount of time. I knew it was a starving crowd. They wanted leads. I knew that they had revenue. I knew that it was saturated and it demanded an expert in those areas. But once I got in the space, I was getting an overwhelming amount of personal injury attorneys to contact me. I didn't even know that like that was the top niche for digital marketing or one of them, right? There are many opportunities in legal, right? You could sub down in a criminal, the family law, a bankruptcy business, there's the sky's the limit. But when I looked at my revenue, about 70% of my revenue was coming from less than 40% of my clientele and it was PI. So it was an easier decision to niche than probably some of the generalist agencies where the, a lot of the revenues kind of dispersed. I remember there was this quote from Seth Godin uh, that talked about niching and niching down and being remarkable kind of falls in line with his book, Purple Cow. And that's kind of where I ended up. And it's had a lot of advantages because I understand them on a much deeper level. I know what their price points are. I know exactly what they want in terms of keywords and cases. It helps from eliminating waste from a operations perspective. And uh, positioning, it helps because I would say one of the most difficult challenges in the digital marketing space is how are you unique? What do you do to be unique? I remember I went to this lawyeronomics conference and we spent like 30 grand in conference to do this conference. And we had this cool booth. It was great. And our prospects came up to us and they asked what our pricing was. And then they went to the booth next door who also did legal marketing. And then they went to the next one and then the next one. So now we're one of the few, I only know a couple that really niche down this far into PI. And, and honestly, we're the only one that really does SEO and digital. The others are like media buyers. Yeah. Long-winded. <laughs> no, that's a perfect answer, right? I mean, that that's the end. The, at the end of the day, by being within the niche, you can truly become world-class at that particular mm -hmm. vertical. You can get to know it inside and out. You can be known as the go-to expert, have clients come to you pre-positioned to buy, and then you can streamline your operations to deliver consistent, reliable outcomes for your clients in that space at a level nobody else could, right? Because you just have so much experience within the, within the industry. Um, a couple of layers of this onion I'd love to peel back is, mm -hmm. you know, it feels like you started to recognize personal injury was an opportunity. You were getting clients within that space. It's still hard in that, in that moment to say, well, I've got personal injury. I'm just going to do that. I'm sure you're getting inquiries from, you know, the, the criminal guys and the, you know, divorce attorneys. How do you make the decision to say, well, I just want to stay in this lane when they, it feels like you could relatively simply open up to the other verticals as well. That's a constant battle, right? That's like that shiny object that you're punching away. I would say right now being transparent, I think out of all of our 45, I think we have three that are non-PI. Hmm. They're just really good fits. They had the right mindset. They had 
uh, one of them was in criminal defense. We worked in criminal defense previously, and I really knew that area. So I felt comfortable that we could provide a lot of a very high quality service. The thing that's not talked about enough is if you're a generalist agency, everybody wants referrals because when you're trying to close a deal, th there's three things that you have to worry about. You got to make sure they trust you, the service and the company. And the reason people like referrals is because they bring with them trust. Well, how do you get referrals? It's by niching and, and the more specific that you niche, it means you're not right for everyone and, and you're going to have to turn away a lot more people. And the best way to set up referral relationships through reciprocity is to give a lead. Like you can be a nice guy and, and try to connect with people. But like, if you're sending them business, they want to reciprocate because they want more of that business. So to answer your question in a long winded way, when we get those criminal bankruptcy family law, we send those to other legal marketing agencies in return, they send us PI. Because they, they look at it and say, wow, that PI stuff is tough, right? That's hard. It's super competitive. They have to have big dollars. We don't even know what to do if we can give it to Chris. We know he and his team can run with that ball and, and vice versa. So it sounds like that's also resulted in more business in terms of you being able to toss bones over to other legal marketing firms and then they throw you the big bones. 1,000%. I think... Also, the deeper you go, these larger agencies, their criteria of what types of clients that they'll work with gets higher because of profit margins. And, you know, um, hiring is difficult, right? Especially in, the, in today's landscape. So, you know, one, I would say a lot of those, the people listening, one of the best things you could do is go to the larger agencies and say, you know, what are the clients that you don't want? Send me all of those. You just built yourself an amazing pipeline to get into seven figures if you're not there yet. 100% great tip. John Morris said something similar when we interviewed him, and he also built a eight-figure agency. So something to consider, right? Look at the bigger companies, figure out the business that they don't want, become the, you know, become the taker of the scraps, right? Take that business, mm -hmm. run with it, dial it in, and you'll build your own book of business. So um, great stuff. I, I love it. Uh, so talk to us a little bit, if you, if you don't mind, about what the service offering looks like. What, what are you doing for these uh, PI attorney specifically. Yeah. So we do a really comprehensive diagnosis in the beginning. I think a lot of people try to position the other way. They'll say like, Oh, they're doing an audit. We, we do that for free. Well, like people aren't going to apply value to that because there's no sunk cost and like how, how good is it going to be? So the first thing is we go really deep. That's the only way that you can really obtain these super large contracts uh, without just getting lucky, right? You, you, you show a gap analysis, you, you put the data together. Um, our offer is we, we do that. We call it an SEO discovery. The reason we call it that is because attorneys have to do a discovery before they go to trial. Hey, would you go to trial without doing a discovery? No, you wouldn't. Well, that's why we need to do this, right? You know, prescription without diagnosis of malpractice. Hey, if your car's not working properly, you got out of the car. And before the, or the auto body person came up to your car and said, Hey, it's 20,000 bucks and they hadn't licked under the hood. You'd think they're crazy, right? So you got to do this stuff. I know it's a pain in the butt, but that's how you anchor these larger deals. And then ours is because we just do SEO, our span of control, and that could be a whole different topic, but span of control, um, if you're looking at me, is we have content, a content department, a on-site and technical department, 
a local department and we have a link building department. We don't just have SEO department and SEO specialists, right? So our span of control is wider and we can go much deeper on the strategy and have true experts. Um, there's more cost. Anytime you widen your span of control, there's more challenges in terms of communications, communication, but it allows us to produce a very high end product. Um, and so that's what we do. It's a really end to end SEO offer. I can talk about, you know, the pricing model or whatever questions you have. Um, but, but that's what we do. Yeah. So it sounds like initially you go in and you sell a discovery, right? And if you could talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the price that you charge for that, and then you're selling a relatively large monthly fee. You said 45 clients, 650 K, you know, North of $10,000 monthly for, for these SEO services. If my math is right. Yeah. So th that discovery, we played around with free and charging at the moment we're doing free okay. and, but we have higher qualification standards. So we're not just doing these for everyone. Like we, we really want to make sure in that first, first time appointment, that qualification meeting that they are the right fit. And we also secure the next appointment before we start. So I'm not going to get in the inbox and try to fight for their attention. And if it's secured and it's on calendar, I then, when we bring in several bodies, it's like, it's not like, oh, I'm letting Chris down with time. I'm letting down all these people. So we don't have no shows. And, and for me, maybe they don't do the monetary compensation, like, like putting money, but it's like a time, right? So they've got skin in the game in terms of time. Got it. Um, that's, that's what it look, looks like. And what was your second question? Um, average monthly fee for these, for these programs. Our base fee, our lowest is 10K a month. Uh, our rate, our kind of standards at 10, 15, 30. And I would say, you know, that's because we really know our industry. And if you get too many people converting at the end tier, it's probably too low. And, you know, there's a lot of different pricing strategies here, um, but it's really understanding your market. The way I look at it though, I'm a bit different. I, I think when I look at SEO, I think about, okay, if they, if this is a good channel for the business, if they weren't going to hire an agency, what would they have to do? They'd have to hire an SEO specialist and anybody that does SEO specialists, there's, there's these things called unicorns that just don't exist, right? An SEO specialist is not going to be a great content writer, link builder, technical SEO. And even if they are, they don't have the capacity to do all those. And, and that person's going to cost 80 to hundred grand salary. So the way I look at it is like, look, even at 10 K a month, I don't care what industry you're in. I, I don't, I literally do not care if you're pest control. It does not matter. I'm charging 10 K a month minimum because they can't go out and, and replicate that from a channel perspective. And, and that's how I put it. Like, look, you're going to hire an SEO specialist for 60 and then you're going to hire a content writer for 50. Right. It's just, they can't do it. And so that's why I think most people are that are, are charging it significantly too low. Um, and instead of trying to get 200 clients at 5k, get a hundred at 10k. Love it. Love it. Kind and of math makes sense, right? It's just, I think it's a, it's a matter of personal confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Belief in what you can bring to the table, belief in what your agency can do, mathematically speaking, right? Even even yeah. like even 5K is a stretch for most agencies to charge a 5K monthly fee. But if they were to hire one person full time, that's only going to be able to do a very small piece of the strategy direction. 
they're going to pay more than 5K, right? So, you know, stretch your mind, everyone that's listening and watching, you can charge more. There's lots of price elasticity in these services. Let's, let's go even deeper here, Josh. Right. So, you got, so you got the Iron Triangle. Okay, if you guys heard this, you got good, fast, and cheap. Mm. You can only have two. So you can have good and fast, but it's not cheap. It's expensive. You can have fast and cheap, but it's not good. So if you want to go five or gig it up and try to get lucky, you know, that's fast and cheap, but they're just, especially in, it depends on the industry, but you're not going to be able to generate results. So it's the same thing for any business entity. Look at, look at restaurants. I mean, how many fast food restaurants are there? It's all the race to the bottom. They're all trying to sell a happy meal and try to get margins out of the soda they sell versus like how many high-end steak joints are there? A few. How much better quality is of the steak and the food is, the experience, the and how much higher are they charging? And also, there's a lot less competition up there. That's the thing nobody's telling you. Everyone that's charging 1,000, 2,000, five, and I'm the only one start charging 10, like... It's it any way better profit margins. You can do better work. You can sleep. Your head hits the pillow. Um, so I'm I'm up on the uh, let's elevate those prices. That'd be one of my key pieces of advice. I love it. So many great takeaways here on the on the idea of pricing, right? You know, you can justify it with what it would cost for a full time employee. When you charge more, you can go deeper and provide better services. And the unexpected bonus, if you're at 10k and everyone else is at 2k you look magically like you know what you're doing more, right? There's less people competing at that high level. Um, let's talk a little bit about the market level of a client that can spend 10K versus, um, you know, versus 2K. It sounds to you like you feel like in any vertical, you should be able to charge this amount, right? Because there's big players in all of them. Um, do you find that your clients are the, like the top 5 10% in the industry, or is it just about any PI attorney that could be a fit? I think any any PI attorney period, if they're doing SEO, should spend at least 10K. Um, that's that's the legal industry to be a little bit different than others. But I think it comes back to strategy. And there, there's more to it than this. Let me, let me start with strategy. Strategy, there's a good book, The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Love it. So create your Dream 100 list. You get one of those Dream 100. You can use it as leverage for case studies and to get the rest of the people on the list. And that one individual client could be a great, um, a very profitable client. And so, so there's that it's strategy. It's also in using tools like zoom, zoom info or seamless or Apollo to when your lead comes in, understand how we use Apollo to understand how much revenue the business is generating. You, you look them up and they're doing a million. Well, you come in with a 20K price point, you're probably not going to win the deal, right? So it's it's understanding your audience. Um, there's that. There is, when you niche, there is perception. Um, let's take a generalist doctor versus a heart surgeon. Who do you think costs more, right? Do you think a person that, um, if you go to train your kid, right, so you get a kid, you're going to take them to get baseball lessons and you take them to this clinic and they train everybody, you know, the, the, for baseball, right? They're taking pitches, hitting in the batting cage, or you got um, a pitching only coach. How much is the pitching only coach? Probably a lot more. 
Um, so there's that, but it's strategy. It is, is knowing your audience. Uh, and that really, when you niche, a lot of that really comes naturally. Good um, one more thing, one more thing, stacking. Yeah. Okay. So there's this methodology, right? So if you're a generalist agency and you work with one law firm, it's harder to move up the ladder from a relationship equity standpoint. If I do well for a solo practitioner, then maybe that mid-sized firm will take a chance on me. And then I do good for them. And then the bigger firm sees that I, I did well for the mid-sized. Oh, maybe I'll do well for them. And you keep going up the ladder and you get these oper these little incremental improvements from relationship equity. And I think that's not talked about enough. You know, it's the, the Einstein has this quote about, you know, the, um, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And a lot of people apply that to finances, but it's also relationship equity. You get to know the people in the niche. They introduce you to other people. Then you know what conferences to go. Then you know where they congregate. So your marketing strategies are better. Then you know what words and phrases they use. So your copywriting is better. So all those things apply. Love it. Love it. Lots of great takeaways here. I think the, the big thing, guys, is you know, niche within the niche, subject matter expertise, charge more, right? He's, he's at 10K plus. That's kind of his floor for SEO. He's just doing SEO for these guys. Um, there's a question here from Paul. Paul's asking, Chris, do you build a new website or tweak their existing one? What's your strategy when it comes to the website itself? We do both. We think, uh, we think of a website as a ranking component, an SEO component. So if they don't have a website that has the ability to rank, we're going to build one. In our space, in the legal space, you've got like Scorpion that has proprietary sites, Justia, Foster Web Marketing. So we're kind of forced in order to, we want to decrease the prospect's effort and sacrifice as much as possible. So to get them to come to us, we're, we have to build sites. Got it. So is that included in your program or is it like a web development? We do separate. It is a la carte. Um, we may start bundling it. A lot of times sites are more difficult to be profitable. Now there are strategies that you can do, but I think you can also look at them as a marketing component because of those footer logos. Right. Uh, but yeah, so we will tweak an existing one or we'll create a new one. Got it. Good stuff. Paul, good question, guys. If you have follow-up questions for Chris, post them in the comments. We'll do our best to come to them. So we've talked about kind of what you're doing from a, from a service perspective. We talked about the vertical that you're in. Um, would love to hear kind of what you're doing to land clients. And I know you're, you're big on positioning because, you know, you're positioned very well as the go-to expert in this space. Just talk to me about what's working to get new clients to come in at that $10,000 a month range. All right. So we do content marketing, right? We eat our own dog food. We rank number one, I believe, for SEO for lawyers. Um, we do Facebook ads. We do Google ads. One of the best things that we've done is a podcast. So I host personal injury mastermind and those big giant 1% clients, I'm getting them on the show and I I'm seen with them. I'm, it elevates myself as an authority. Uh, we chop up all that content for social media. Um, it helps supply our email newsletter. We do a weekly newsletter. Um, but we liked it so much that we launched a second podcast called law her. Um, it's a tactic to hit a different demographic and, you know, largely underrepresented demographic in the legal space. And so we do that. 
The one challenge I'll say with going to a sub niche, when you go super narrow is you have a lot of waste and waste by that is if I rank for SEO for lawyers and my positioning's heavy on PI, these other firms may not contact me. It's harder to get narrow from a pay-per-click perspective. You know, the clutch directory doesn't have a personal injury directory. They have a legal directory. Um, so you have to do tactics more relationship-based. So podcast, account-based marketing, um, things like that going to conferences as opposed to kind of your broad uh, total addressable market strategies that a lot of people use. So um, it, it's a challenge and you got to be, it's just a different type of marketing. Love it. Great strategy. So it sounds like the podcast is working well, going deep into the, into the industry is working well. Um, I'm a big fan of podcasting, obviously, here and, mm -hmm. and, and in our agency, Plumbing and HVAC SEO. Um, talk to me a little bit about the format of your podcast, because it sounds like it's speaking directly to that higher-end PI attorney. Is it that you're interviewing successful PI attorneys? Or are you pushing out content? Talk to us a little bit about that. When I first launched the podcast, it was called the the rankings. I think it was the rankings podcast, and I, and I learned very quickly that it wasn't about me; it was about my audience. So we renamed to Personal Injury Mastermind. The reason we didn't call it Personal Injury Marketing, um, you know, podcast, is because um, it, it's too narrow as well. So we needed to to open it up and and just be able to provide as much value as we could to that individual. So we do a weekly show. It's every Thursday. We have guests. It's primarily these large personal injury law firms like, you know, Anajar Levine. Um, we've had, you know, just some really large firms. But we also get thought leaders in the industry. We had Seth Godin on the podcast. We've had um, Cameron Harold. We've had, you know, just a lot of the big entrepreneurs. And we just do a mix there. The biggest thing that I've learned um, about podcasting is basically we need to do more. I, I'm a big proponent of having more than a weekly show. So what we're looking at is having a day where it's so one day is all about the guest, but a different day it's it's myself and maybe my president where we're talking about these different tactics. And then another day I do a different theme just to because there's a lot of uh, the subscribers and the downloads will impact your ability to advertise. And then the key to wealth to everyone listening is other people's money, OPM, and that's acquired through sponsorships. A lot of people are resistant to that, but sponsorship money will in turn help you grow the show even larger. So yeah, we do a weekly show right now, a uh, consistent cadence. I've never missed a week and hundred and something episodes, but, um, I love it. I like it. It's it's a feedback loop too. Those that want to go deeper in their industry, you get to ask these great questions like uh, Josh is doing here and he's picking my brain. And um, But you get to get a feedback and then you get to go apply it to your business. So a lot of times I'll get on a podcast and I'm asking self-serving questions that I, that I want to know, but also my audience wants to know. 100%. So I, I love this, this idea like podcasting as the channel to really position yourself as the go-to expert, bringing on some of the biggest names in the industry. Um, two questions I, I think they come up often is like, why would those big names want to come on my show? Right. You know, I'm not paying them. Like, why would they do that? It's harder at the beginning. 
It really is. It's uh, you don't have an audience. You got to kind of, you just don't have really a platform. So you go to your clients and your, your, your sphere of influence that you can just get on the show. But at the end of the day, you're providing them tremendous value and distribution. And, and so we were getting around, you know, it's not a big show. It's super niche. We're getting about 10,000 downloads a month. And, but those attorneys want peer referrals. So they get on there and they get, you know, they, they have the opportunity to get referrals from their peers and it complements their social strategy. It doesn't, it's not a heavy commitment where they have to write, you know, it could be 30 minutes. Um, so they get value through distribution, through impressions. And that's the way I look at it. 100%. I think also, whether we realize it or not, everybody likes to be put up on a pedestal. And so there's something to be said for people will come on just because they have something to share and they want to share it with the world. Um, and so yeah. once you've got a couple episodes under your belt, it becomes very easy to get, I think, even some of the smartest top people on your podcast to share some of their best strategies uh, with, your, with your community. I think mm -hmm. one of the things you said that was really powerful was this shift away from it being an SEO podcast a ranking podcast to being more of a, a marketing for the niche podcast to actually being a mastermind. Um, I think expanding that and, and really thinking through the eyes of your audience, what they would be most interested in listening to is, is brilliant. Like what is the, what is the framework? Are you, anything's on board, like how to grow your practice, how to, you know, manage your staff. Like, is there, is there a, a, a constraint or use anything that would be beneficial to PI attorneys? Well, I, I try to cover topics that we haven't, you know, repeated over and over. And I try to get them. There's a loop that occurs during interviews. A lot of times these people that have been interviewed a lot, they go in this loop and they start to tell the same story over and over. So I think with research, you can kind of pry in and get more granular and pull stuff out of them and like get them off that loop. And to answer your question is, you know, since we're selling SEO, I'm going to talk more about marketing and biz dev. It might not only be SEO, but it could be if they're tuning in to hear about SPPC or design or whatever, they want more leads. And I know that person's open to it. Uh, but I also like the how I built this style. So your audience wants to listen in and hear how, how did Anna Jar Levine get so big? How did Bacchus and Shanker get so big? And, and they really love those types of stories. So yeah, we cover basically anything that will help a personal injury law firm grow and things that I find interesting, right? I don't know that the owner, my core avatar wants to tune in and listen about how to reduce their tax liability. Right. Right. Like maybe, maybe profit first. I might talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I just try to avoid the really stale topics uh, as much as I can. Love it. Great, great strategies here. Great tips. Um, one of the great things about podcasts is its ability to be consumed kind of in downtime as people are going about their day. Um, you're trying to get to a very specific subsect of the, uh, of the legal niche. How do you get the, the listeners? Uh, you said 10,000 downloads a month. Like, how are you getting that? Are you doing anything outside of just putting the content out to get distribution in front of your ideal prospects? Yeah, so a little bit of secret sauce here. Um, <laughs> we want secret uh, sauce. Uh, so we, we, we want it. We want it. The secret sauce. 
So I, I do a separate uh, social feed on all social channels away from my agency. Um, the other thing on Instagram is they have a collaborator feature. So it'll, it will put your content on that user's feed and will selectively target influencers that have large audiences to piggyback off their feed. We do that weekly email distribution. Um, if the PI guys are listening, maybe you can earmuff right now, but, um, you know, so we've bought those email lists. We've scraped those email lists, right? I'm just being transparent with you guys. It's not like I've got all those natural opt-ins, but, um, so we've done that. And the big one is advertising on the podcast apps. Hmm. That will really blow you up, and not very many people are doing it. So we advertise on Spotify, we advertise on Castbox, um, a few others. Um, that because it's where your cons consumers are listening to those apps and those devices, so you're not trying to shift them to a different platform. That's huge. That'll get your subscribers up. Love it. A couple of a couple of little secret sauce tips here. Um, love the idea of advertising on those on those platforms, right? No one's mm -hmm. really paying attention to that. They just think I'll, I'll interview smart people. I'll put it up and hopefully if you make it, they will come, but whatever you can do to juice that distribution, the better, right? And I love the idea yeah. of, you know, you've got these lists and you could spam the list and easily get in trouble or easily get people mad at you or easily just tarnish your name in the industry, or you could scrape these lists and send them valuable content which in turn gets them to know, like trust you, gets them to probably land on one of your pages and gets added to your retargeting list. Uh, and so you, you kind of enter the back door with value as opposed to entering the door, hey, you want more PI cases? Yeah, and there's strategies to warm up lists and, and our open rate's like a 30% now. That's amazing. From a cold sure. list. That's so like good. we split them off. So like one simple tactic is you, you split into do two different lists, your, op your opens and your non-opens, and you run different campaigns from an email strategy. And then eventually you, you'll take away, you'll siphon out the individuals that just aren't uh, engaging. And then it, it by in turn will help your open rates and your deliverability. Um, so there's some strategies there. The I'm really excited about the opportunity to get into the sponsorships. We're I'm trying to get to that 20K downloads a month because then I can take all that revenue and put it more into Spotify ads and CastBox. And, and I think the other thing too, the deeper you go on this is the CPMs for like a generalist podcast is like $20, $25 for sponsorships. For niche, it could be 50 to 100. Wow. So you can get a lot more sponsorship dollars um, on a niche podcast. And, and do those do you envision those sponsorships coming in the form of like them having a commercial that you do in the middle or like how, how do you how would you structure a partnership with somebody that wants to sponsor your podcast? So I would lean on I use a production company called Lower Street. I think they're fantastic. They're they're not cheap, but they're good. Um, I use them and I would I would lean on Harry and their team to kind of advise me there because um, honestly I don't know, but. I've been more focused on getting our download numbers up to that. Really 20K is where most people want to see at. Um, the other interesting thing is that's when it also opens up opportunities to podcast networks. That's what they're looking at too. And then that has additional distribution. So it's interesting, but I think that's going to, it's really going to be a pivotal moment where I think our audience will really grow. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And you're getting paid 
to market basically at that point. Like you take that money and you can put rocket fuel behind all the content mm -hmm. that you're putting out, which just accelerates things even faster. Thousand percent. You know, it's funny. I th those big guests, right? So like the Seth Godin and things, you have to you have to kind of you might have to do some stuff for them, whether they're promoting a book or provide value in a different way to get them on. I remember we tried to get Tony Robbins on. We pitched him one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of Facebook ads for his episode, and he still wouldn't do it. I was like, "Sheesh, what's that guy's hourly rate?" <laughs> Something super high. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So we talked about, you know, really how you've positioned yourself in the industry, the, the kind of the speaking, the industry events, the podcasting being a big play. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, you being a really, really strong SEO guy with a strong SEO background and really generating consistent results for some of the you know, most competitive niche, really, in my mind, in the industry, because the cost per mm -hmm. keyword is so high on a cost per click basis. Like, do you have any SEO tips on today's environment? Like what's working best to get like local area based businesses like PI attorneys ranked for the important keywords? Oh man, this one's really loaded. I'm, I'm <laughs> um, okay. So basically due to the mobile device and uh, the vicinity update and proximity has a major impact as, as it relates to local SEO. So there's going to be a time where, additional brick and mortar businesses can be conducive to a good SEO strategy. And what I mean by that is let's say you have a Houston personal injury law firm. When they think of expansion, you need to push your clients not into different cities, maybe multiple offices in the same city mm. uh, because that will impact Google screen. Google screen is based upon region response and reviews. It will also impact Google Maps, which is based upon relevance, distance, and prominence. Distance being the key underlying point there. So that's one strategy. So get, get real offices in and around the, the main metro area. Yep. Helps from a conversion standpoint. You know, less effort and sacrifice on the consumer st standpoint. In Those are mind, huge. Does it matter whether it's a real like commercial office or like a Regis or like one of these you know, virtual offices? Well, it needs to, you know, abide by the Google terms of service because we're actually proactively reporting people that don't. Uh, we submit the business redressal form. Um, so it does need to be legit. But I think that's key for any even individual that's, that's trying to market on a local, on the local side. It's also, if you're an SEO agency, it's an easy way to upsell them, right? And I always position it as don't think of a business as a facilities cost. I think of it as, I said, put it under marketing. You know, let's do it under that line item. Um, that's one. Another one is that's not talked about, and and I'm almost afraid to say this one, but I'm going to say it. So I'm going to give value here is content acquisitions. So many people want to rank for a keyword and they go do the keyword research. They write this article and they hope and pray that it ranks and they drive links to it. And, you know, it's eight months later and their their baby hasn't ranked when it a lot easier is to just go look and see who's ranking and just email those site owners and see if you can buy their content and, and implement a permanent 301 redirect. Um, we've done that many times successfully because that's not only ninja. do you that's get... That's guys. He, like he said, he wants to give you some of the, the secret sauce that you're not going to hear every day. So I, You're I not going to hear that at all. Like even from the... You're just not going to hear it. But 
not only do you get the great content, but you also get the links to that page through the 301. So you're piggyback. So it's a link strategy too. And it serves Google better because you're refreshing their, their, their library. So Google loves it. It's a tremendous strategy. You just got to be, you know, you got to look at the content quality. That's subjective. You got to look at uh, the amount of visitors to that page. You can get that through Google Search Console and other tools and then evaluate that based upon the CPC. And then uh, the number of links, that's how you get, you can place a value on that content. And nobody does that. It is wildly, wildly uh, underserved as a tactic. Um, that's another one. You know, I, I would say a lot of times I just think that in the SEO space, I just don't think people do link building correctly or, or do enough of it. Um, and I also think the most overused phrase on earth is content is king. Mm. Um, I think that content is table stakes. Like you have to have great content. And if I'm trying to rank Chicago car accident lawyer, the hundred other law firms all have that page. So what am I going to do? Like make it 10,000 words? Like, no, Google's going to look at external sources and those external endorsements to determine who should rank. So those are some things. Um, I think that, I think just most SEO agencies don't do enough to really compete. And I think they are, they're afraid of those unnatural link penalties and they're just afraid of fear when guys, you're just, you're not even on Google's radar. <laughs> and let's talk about how slow the Google call, crawl rates are 45 days, 60 days. You start popping them with a bunch of links. I guarantee that crawl rate will improve. Mm. Great, great tips here, guys, from a top, top level SEO guy working in one of the most competitive industries, you know, multiple locations, legit locations. Think about acquiring properties that are already ranking for those really high, high value terms for the sake of the ranking, as well as the sake of, sake of the link juice you can pass back to the site. And don't be afraid to build links, right? It's, it's, it's implied that they have to be high quality, high relevant links, but don't be afraid to build links because all other things being equal, yes, the links still matter. Thousand percent. Great stuff. So, so let's talk about this. You've scaled to an eight-figure agency working in the um, in this particular vertical. How do you how do you how have you scaled the team so that you can provide world-class service? Um, you know, while growing at that at that at that level. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your scale play? So let me start off with a kind of an explanation here, and this is going to warp some of your guys' brains that are listening to. Um, so when you in the agency space, let's talk about um, leverage and people leverage. So you've got full-time employees, you have freelancers, and you have strategic partners or vendors. Full-time employees are the, you have the most amount of control. You can get them to do whatever they're hired to do but they're the highest maintenance. You got to have them kind of have culture, the core values and a good place to work. And you got to train them and keep them happy, right? High control, high maintenance. Freelancers are medium control because someone else could take their utilization and time. If you're getting them on an Upwork or other sites, um, but medium maintenance, because you typically don't hire a freelancer that doesn't know the craft. And then third, you've got strategic partners or vendors. Um, a lot of people look at this as taboo, um, like, oh, they're outsourcing. But guess what? You go out to restaurants, right? 
Yeah, you do. Okay. So you're not making every sandwich that you make. Um, and just because you have a bad experience at a restaurant doesn't mean you quit going. Maybe you order a different meal or you go to a different restaurant. So strategic partners are low control, low maintenance, low control, because you're not going to tell them how to make the widget. Hmm. You're not going to go guide that sushi chef's hand to make your sushi. Um, but low maintenance because they know how to make the thing. So to answer your original question, I thought I needed to give you context here. Mm. Is we are primarily strategists and project managers internally. And a lot of the technician, um, high labor intensive things, we use strategic partners. Um, that was one of the key benefits for us during COVID. Um, we could scale and up and down our utilization because we were using vendors and I didn't have to. And also from an emotional standpoint, my God, the people thing is the worst. So I just don't have, <laughs> in terms of, I mean, I like when you know you need to fire someone, right? You got painful. these emotions. It's painful. That's what drives me nuts. And it's, it's, it's less emotion. It's, it's more, uh, there's more scalability, but, uh, and it fits in that iron triangle too. You can get good vendors, you can get bad ones. Um, so that's how we're structured. Um, our core departments are finance, admin, marketing, sales. We split accounts off of ops. So we have accounts separate and then ops, which is just your get it done. Um, so that's how we're set up. I love it. Great structure. And I love the analogy there. Kind of, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to outsource certain things, right? You're going to have strategic partners for certain things. And, it, and that model gives you the ability to control your margins, to scale up relatively quickly as you take on a big project, scale down if you lose a big project, um, and, and, you know, not have to deal with as much people issues, constantly hiring, firing, training, managing, um, et cetera. Yep. Amazing. Great, great share. Great insight there. Um, would love to hear from you on retention because I know how hard it is to land clients. I know how hard it is to deliver results. Can you talk a little bit about what you do from a retention perspective to, to keep your clients on board as long as possible? So, and I got this from a mentor, but retention comes from two components and I'm going to see my hands. I feel like Ricky Bobby with my hands here. You got warmth. <laughs> And you got competence. Okay. Mm. Warped is you got to be a friendly guy. If they don't want to fire their friend, right? You're a nice guy. They love doing business with you. You got those soft skills, the EQ, right? That's the warmth. But then you have competence. Competence is results. You can retain clients having one of the two. You can be a great guy and they don't want to fire their friend, even though you're doing crap work, right? Or you can do phenomenal work. And even though they don't like you, they may stay. The recipe for success is warmth and competence. The combination, even yep. balance. We also do this thing. I think it's funny. Uh, we call it teach our clients not to be crazy. <laughs> and uh, what I mean by that is why do your clients become crazy? It's typically because you don't set expectations. Mm -hmm. So you don't tell them how long SEO is going to take to get results. You don't tell them about your content process. You don't tell them about you know when we're going to meet. So... Whenever we lose a client, what we do is we do a post-mortem and we say, what went wrong here? Why did this client end up being crazy? And, oh, we didn't, you know, we messed up our content process or we didn't um, tell them when we are available for meetings or whatever it is. And then go put that into your, your onboarding experience, your processes, reinforce it. So 
we like to call it teach our clients not to be crazy because they become crazy if you didn't tell them it was going to take six months to get results in month three they're going to say where are my leads <laughs> right they're crazy right and it's it's on you it's on you because you never told them it would take six or 12 or whatever it is so good teach them not to be crazy set proper expectation tell them what to expect if they didn't know what to expect that crazy's on you right because you didn't teach them not to be that way mm -hmm. i love it excellent i love this this idea of you have to balance right you can provide amazing world-class results but if your service experience is poor they're going to leave, right? Because there's lots of competition. There's lots of different opportunities. You could also be the nicest guy. You could be the sending them gifts every weekend. But if the results aren't there, you're not competent, then they're going to leave as well. So you really have to balance the two. And that's how you're going to maximize your, your client retention. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Great stuff. So we talked about kind of like how you land clients. We talked about what you deliver, how you deliver, how you scale. We talked about some strategies that you use for, for retention. Uh, we got a question here from Adam Bess. I'm just going to put this up. He's saying, what bottlenecks were worst for scaling? How do you prioritize valuation during the scale process, such as profit versus revenue producing equity? That's a tough one, Adam. Um, yeah, sorry. I would say, I, to I was... reach, I'd say that you'd have to maybe reach out to me in private on that. Um, yeah. But um, so let's talk about profit. One of the things that we implemented was Mike Michalowicz's Profit First. Excellent book. Excellent and, strategy. Um, taking profit first, you know, traditional mindset is income minus expenses equals profit. This flips it and it's, you know, income, let's see here, profit minus expenses equals income. Yep. You have to read the book, but it flips the mentality and it forces you to pay yourself first. The larger you get, the more important data is. And when you hit certain thresholds when of, of size, you'll get like controllers or director of finances and people to assist on the profitability side. Now, bottlenecks for scaling is different. Okay, so there's a lot of different bottlenecks here. I would say the hiring is one of the biggest challenges. So you need to constantly be recruiting. You know, Mike Krzyzewski from Duke, not a Duke fan, go UNC this weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Mike Krzyzewski's guys all go to the NBA every year. He has best guys, right? He's got to bring in five new people, you know, every couple of seasons. So, because he's constantly recruiting. Mm. So, even though you got a full bent, you got a full team, you need to constantly be recruiting talent. That'll help you with the one of the biggest bottlenecks. There are other, other bottlenecks in terms of delivery. That just that's going to be process improvements, um, utilizing technology and tools. Um, we could go way deeper, but I would say those are some things for your specific question that come to mind. One last thing I'll say is eliminating waste. When you niche, you automatically get rid of uh, waste, and what I mean by that is. When I have a client, I don't have to do the same level of keyword research that many other people that are hitting multiple industries do. I've already done it. I can improve upon it, but I already have that done. So um, it's not like I'm doing keyword research. It's super and time intensive for every single client that comes in the door. Yeah. Eliminate the waste. Be strategic with your recruiting process. Put profit first in place. Make sure that you take the profit and then work your expenses based on what's left versus take the revenue, spend, and hopefully there's a profit. 
right. because Parkinson's law tells you your your expenses are going to expand to the amount of amount of profit that you let it eat up. Um, so yeah, if you have it, go check out Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Amazing book. I recommend every agency or business for that matter implement that methodology. Yep. Track Chris, your employees' awesome. uh, revenue per per uh, employee. You want to use you want to stay above 200k um try not to dip below that that'll really help hurt your profitability that's just a general rule of thumb love it chris this has been amazing thank you so much for all the great insights congratulations on your growth and success um if you had one last tip for the agency owners that are listening they're trying to figure out how do i get to the next level uh, what would that tip be Business, if you're wanting to grow businesses that have a disproportionate number of business development people, sales and marketing uh, have a better chance to grow than those that just have all operations people. I know that sounds simple, but if you look at your agency and you've got 19 out of 20 ops people, you're probably not growing at the rate of the guy that's got 10 sales and marketing and 10 ops people. Yeah. That's a, that's a great tip. I'm curious, how is yours? How is your stacked? How many salespeople or business development people do you have in the business? We're about 50-50. Wow. Now, I, let me make one caveat. I consider account managers biz dev. Okay. Because they are selling retention on a monthly basis. They mm -hmm. are cross-selling the referral partners or upselling into larger engagements. So, um, but yeah, about 50-50. That's a great tip, guys. Look at look at your staff, especially if you've got 5, 10, 15, 20 employees now. Are they all operations? Do you have an even balance of operations and sales, business development, account management? If not, you're out of balance, right? You're not going to grow as quickly as you could. And maybe there's some more money to invest on that side of the business to create that momentum. Absolutely. So many great takeaways. This has been awesome. Chris, if, if people want to connect with you, learn more about you, what, what would be the best way to engage with you? Yeah, I would say, uh, well, I would say if you want to engage with me directly, just shoot me an email, chris at rankings.io. Um, you know, just, just hit me with the subject line so I can tell that you're on the show uh, and so I don't maybe filter it out. But that or my, I'm most active on LinkedIn. That's my, I'm most active on that social network. So look up Chris, hit him up on, on LinkedIn. Um, be sure to send him a thank you. This has been extremely generous. He's built a, an eight-figure on the brink of eight-figure agency, shared the niche that he's in, how he lands clients, how he's positioned himself, some great secret tips on SEO and how he's built up the, the viewership of his podcast um, and, and some things that he's done to grow and scale his business. So again, kudos to you on your growth and success. Thanks so much for taking your time to join us here today and um, good luck as you continue to grow your agency to the next level. Josh, so, thanks so much for having me. Also just read your book, uh, I think two or three times. Very good book. Awesome. Tons of information in it. For those who haven't read it, fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye now.